Hi, welcome to our NFL show. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know that BetUS is giving away an official NFL team jersey plus $300. To participate in the raffle is very simple. Just follow BetUS underscore official and BetUS Pro FB Twitter account. Retweet the post and tag a friend in the comments. There will be a winner for every 10 retweets. You've got nothing to lose, so go get your tweets on. Right, so we're one step closer to finding out which teams will play in the Super Bowl after Championship Sunday and the Conference Championship should be a lot of fun because of the crazy playoffs, including a wild divisional Saturday where the 49ers and the Bengals upset the top seeds. There's still many stars in action on Championship Sunday, even though Rodgers won't be there. Here's our experts look into the Conference Championship round. NFL Conference Championship Sunday slate is set just as Chris joins us as the show's kicking off. Chris, that timing was about as good as my timing to tune in to Bill's Chiefs after I almost forgot about the game altogether given the crazy end game in Tampa. You know what? I'm just lucky to be here. It's uh, it's hilarious. Everything just restarted on me, so uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 hitting the, I'm hitting it in stride and I'm running, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, in the nick of time. Well, I'll give you a moment to catch your breath. I've got a special announcement right off the top here today to mark the occasion for the NFL Conference Championship field being set. BetUS is holding an official jersey giveaway contest, entering as easy as one, two, three, one. Follow the BetUS main and the BetUS Pro Football accounts on Twitter. Two, retweet the post pinned to the top of the BetUS Pro Football account. And three, tag a friend in the comments. Terms and conditions apply. See the Twitter thread for details. And guys, on that note, let's move on to this weekend. We've got some good matchups in store, and we will certainly break them down, but to set the proper tone right off the top, I'm still catching my breath from that divisional round. One thriller after another. Somehow, each game better than the last, capped off by an all-timer Sunday night in Kansas City. I'm starting to fear that this year's playoffs might resemble that kid who peaks in high school. The divisional round so epic, and yet we've still got a little ways to go. So, Scott, I'm curious, as a pro better, what's it like for you to turn the page from perhaps the greatest weekend of football we've ever witnessed? Hey, you just move on, Matt. Uh, more opportunities this week. Obviously, we've got uh, half the games of what we had last week, but, you know, um, a lot of player props and, and whatnot. So, hopefully... We're just trying to find new opportunities here, but I agree, man. I was exhausted. Had a very good day Sunday, but totally exhausted watching those games. They were epic. Um, you know, it was hard to um, follow up week 18, and we saw what we got in super wild card round, which wasn't a whole lot. And then here came these four games, the uh, two games Saturday, ending in field goals, but they were kind of ho-hum games. And then, uh, and then Sunday, uh, just over the top, uh, phenomenal football. So it's great. Can't wait to this weekend. We'll try to find more opportunities. Indeed. And Chris, while there's definitely fear of a letdown in the entertainment value this weekend, certainly looking to avoid a letdown for you. Scott wasn't the only one to have a great divisional weekend. You're on quite a roll lately. Yeah, I, I came uh, 13 seconds away from having my most profitable NFL weekend in my lifetime. So I had uh, put the four underdogs in money line parlays plus 2220 plus 195 plus 135 plus 125 and uh, when they start to hit by threes and fours uh, the payout becomes absurd uh, with that with those kinds of money lines in there so uh, I was busy uh, hedging away uh, my Buffalo with Kansas City on an alternate line plus three and a half. And, you know, every 10 seconds ago or so, I was winning that bet, uh, all the bets at the same time. So it was a it, it was a very strange uh, turn of events every uh, couple of minutes of real time uh, of uh, uh, real major league swings and finances. But uh, it was a great weekend, uh, you know, four and one on the betting side and uh, uh, still very profitable. So. Uh, metrics are kicking in better. So it's been a, a better second half of the season than it started off, and, and that's what makes me happy. And we'll look to build on the role that you two have been on of late. We can quantify that with a graphic we'll pull up showing our records to date for the YouTube audience. 
And I think this shows, if nothing else, that we're starting to reach a statistically significant sample size. Looks as if you guys are the pros based on the records between the three of us. And I'll just add that if anybody has noticed a blurry video quality on my feed today, not sure why that is. I just say that the picture quality for the three of us today in line with the sharpness of our picks over the last month. So I'll just have to deal with it, see if I can't build on it this week. I think a recurring theme as we get ready to turn the page to the conference championship games here, full game spreads and totals, razor sharp at this stage of the season. We do have some picks in store, and we'll be looking to isolate edges wherever we can throughout conference championship Sunday. One last note before we hit the first game on the board. For those of you with us on YouTube, please take a quick moment to give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and jump in that chat. On that note, guys, let's kick things off for Championship Sunday in both conferences across the NFL. First game on the board, the AFC title game, Kansas City hosting Cincinnati. The Chiefs currently laying seven, total of 54.5 at BetUS. And Chris, before we get too much in the weeds on this game, I know you have some pointed thoughts on the overtime situation in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine a lot of people are sick and tired of hearing about it. Uh, you know, I, I always make a point of tweeting out my displeasure with overtime, even if I win those games, just because I think it's 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 so unfair. And just to put it in perspective, in the regular season over the years, there's only about a 53% advantage to the team that gets the coin flip. Uh, where I have a real problem is what happens in the playoffs because that's 10 and one and seven of those games, the other, the second team never saw the ball. So we had a situation this past Sunday where a team gets the ball twice in a row and the other team doesn't get a chance to match. I, I find that egregious. I find it, it completely unfair. And if you ask anybody, it has to be 98% of anybody that didn't have a vested interest in it financially or rooting. Did, would you have wanted to see Buffalo have a chance to tie that? They're going to say yes. I, I mean, of course we wanted to see that. You know, and, and the argument is, well, play defense. Well, wait a minute. Neither team can play defense, and you just gave the, the, the one team had the ball twice in a row. So... Uh, with that in mind, there has to be some sort of a change in the overtime rules, it, it, you know, at least for playoffs. It's, it's painfully unfair, and, and I don't think it's what we want to see in reality. I've seen that BetUS actually has a prop bet up about whether or not overtime rules will change. Uh, I think the options are no change at all, a change for all games, or a change for just the playoff games. So mm. if you've got any strong thoughts on that, there's something interesting to potentially dabble with. Scott, when it came to the end game on Sunday night in Kansas City, I know you were sweating that over bet for a bit, but when we get 25 points in the last two minutes of regulation, that'll take care of it for you in one fell swoop. Well, you know what? Uh, what was it? Two, three, four years ago when Can uh, New England went to Kansas City and they won that game 37-31, had the ball first in overtime, went down and scored a touchdown. I had under 59 in that game, and the, the game closed at 56. So I had a phenomenally great total number on the under, it's the same thing. They scored, I think that game had 45 points scored with three minutes left in the game. And then ultimately they scored 23 points in the last three minutes in overtime. Uh, so very similar results. And I, I think I had Kansas City in that game as well. So I lost both sides of that. Uh, this time it went the other way. Fortunately, I had the over in Kansas City and uh, got lucky and took the win. And, uh, you know, I went 3-1, and one, but I could have been 0-4. I could have been 4-0. and oh. I mean... These games all came down in the last few seconds, and, and just a little thing here or there completely ended up deciding, you know, how they went from an over-under or a side position. So I think you got to remember, like, yeah, I went three and one. Did I handicap them correctly? I think that was all okay, but those results could have been completely flipped uh, as well. So got to keep it in perspective. I think we touched on that last week that there really are very few edges to be found, if at all, and and you know. It, it's going to be a couple of plays at the most that are going to decide these matchups. So uh, when in doubt, take the points. And Scott, one edge you're looking for as we dig into the AFC title game, more specifically Bengals at the Chiefs, a team total that you're looking to get involved in early in the week. Yeah, I like the, you know, I would take Kansas City here. Uh, they're lane seven. I make the number seven and a half. Um, let me just hit on two things for conference championship games that, I look at every single year. 
First of all, um, these games started in 1970. So we've had 51 years of games, 102 games, you know, two games each year. The team, uh, if, if a team is laying less than 10 points, the straight up winner in these games is now 85, four and two against the spread. So that's uh, what, 89, 91 games. The other games had lines of 10 or higher. Basically pick the straight up winner. And traditionally, you've also had the spread winner as well, regardless if they're laying seven or one point. Uh, I make the number seven and a half in this game. The other thing that I look at, uh, and I just use this as a guide, I would, I wouldn't dismiss this as simplistic as it is, but I also wouldn't follow this blindly. But I also look at the team defined as a better defense, and this is where I say it's simplistic. I define it simply as a team who has allowed fewer points during the regular season. So this year, that's going to be Kansas City, and that's going to be San Francisco. Those teams, if you just play those teams against the spread, the teams that have allowed fewer points during the season, call it the better defense, if you will. Again, simplistic. But those teams have now gone 65, 33, and 3 against the spread, 66%. Um, and that's 51 years. We, I'm looking at my chart here. We've had 23 years where they've gone 2-0 and or 1-0. and uh, only seven years where they've gone 0-2 and or 0-1, and, and then uh, 20 or 21 years where they went 1-1. and So, uh, and again, that would be Kansas City and San Francisco. So the only thing that worries me about lane seven points here is possibly this Chiefs defense. Um, if I want to kind of talk myself into, you know, why I think lane seven would be okay, I think Cincinnati's going to have a little bit of problem scoring here simply because they've got the 31st ranked offensive line in terms of allowing sack sack percentages. Kansas City comes in at number six pressuring. We saw Cincinnati get sacked nine times last week. The difference in that game, though, Tennessee, as we talked about, they're not able to create margin in their games many times. And they play kind of close to the vest, conservative, and they couldn't, they couldn't really come back and score a lot of points on Cincinnati. I don't think Kansas City is going to have any problem scoring points in this game. You look at the seven games that Mahomes has started and finished in playoffs, which have all been at home, they have scored 31, 31, 51, 35, 38, 42, and 42. They're getting to Sounds 35 like a video points game. in this game. What's that? Sounds like a yeah. video game. Well, and, and I think part of it is like Andy Reid's not taking his foot off the gas in these games because it's, you know, it's it's for all the marbles, right? And you go back to that game that they lost against Cincinnati, 34-31. Kansas City had almost a 66% success rate to 48% for Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati hit some long plays in that game that really helped them, you know, despite a lower success rate. You know, the baseball analogy is I say, I'd rather take a 270 hitter who can hit 30 home runs than a 300 hitter who hits 10 home runs. And that's kind of what Cincinnati did in that game. They hit a couple of very large big plays that went for touchdowns that really kept them in the game. But Kansas City dominated that game from a success rate standpoint. I think they'll be able to put pressure on Burrow, um, and they're going to score a whole bunch of points. They're going to get to 33 or 35 points. I'm convinced of that. Um, the point, the really, the real question here is how much can Cincinnati get in return, and do they get enough to stay within the seven? I would, I would definitely lean, and I have bet Kansas City minus seven actually. Uh, but for show purposes, I think the team total over 31 and a half is as good, if not a better bet. As you touch on that, Scott, I have to also look at the total for this game. I mean, it's been steamed uh, by four points from an opener of 50 and a half. I know you were able to get down on it early with where the total stands now, similar to where it was as we recorded the Chiefs Bills breakdown this time last week. Is there a similar dynamic in play where 54 and a half may be right around the number that you make this game, but there's just a lot of, you know, long tail risk for this to go way over the total based on a lot of fireworks in the end game, perhaps similar to what we just saw at Arrowhead? Yeah, the um, so I, you're right. I did play 51 and a half right when Kansas City ended that night. I make the number 54 and a half, so it's right where it's at now. So I wouldn't advise playing it now because I, I do worry – a little bit about Cincinnati's ability to score because I think Kansas City is going to put some pressure on them, um, and that that could keep their numbers down a little bit. But you know, I said last week my number was 55 in that game. I did some adjustments, you know, throughout the week, and I got that number up to about 57 with some player personnel. But when we did the show, I said there's no value in the game, but these teams can score so quickly in the way they can move the ball quickly down the field. 
I felt that it had a very good opportunity to get over. Here, I think with the team total, as I said earlier, I just do not see Kansas City not getting at least 33 to 35 points in this game. This is just what they do in the playoffs. And the Cincinnati defense is an average defense in my mind. That Buffalo defense is very good. And, and we see what Kansas City did. The interesting thing in that game is those teams kind of took their time a little bit. And then when they really had to go, they went at the end of the first half, end of the second half. I just don't see Kansas City getting held under 31 points in this game. Uh, and again, I, like I said, I think 33-35, based on what they've done in the playoffs with Mahomes, uh, is realistic. So we'll lock you in for Kansas City team total over 31 and a half. Sounds like we've also got a lean toward the Chiefs laying the points, as well as the over, looking at the current numbers across the market. And I'm with you giving a strong lean to the Chiefs at this point. I was able to get in early on the side in this one. I took a Chiefs minus six and a half, and that was about my ceiling to get any involvement right off the bat. We'll talk a bit toward the end of the show about the value of looking at opening numbers and markets like this. For now, one of the reasons that I look toward the Chiefs, just thinking about variance and a potential pendulum swing for both teams here, looking at the Bengals, this was their second straight week going plus two in turnovers and plus three if we include fourth downs. The Titans just one for nine on third and fourth downs, so some high leverage moments really swinging Cincinnati's way. And looking at the red zone again, we talked about it last week, the Raiders had gone just one for five in the wild card round. Well, Tennessee just went one for three, so that's two for eight through two games for the Bengals. Defense so far holding the opposing offenses to a 25% touchdown rate once they reach the red zone. League average is 60%, so I've got to think that that's not the most sustainable clip, especially for what we know about this Bengals defense. On top of that, Cincinnati once again outgained in yards per play by almost a yard and a half. So Tennessee probably played well enough to win that game if they had any more luck in the red zone or turnover departments. And as far as things go for the Chiefs, Buffalo went four for four on fourth down, three for three in the red zone. Again, Josh Allen was just putting on a clinic, but I don't think the Bengals are likely to match those numbers. So Chris, I'd be curious for your thoughts on the fact that, you know, variance in small samples can be really finicky and it's not worth putting too much weight into. But at these kind of extremes, the Bengals running so hot and then the Chiefs running cold defensively on fourth down and in the red zone last Sunday. I'm not even saying that variance is definitely going to work against the Bengals or in favor of the Chiefs in any strong way. I just think if we see any regression toward the middle, that would need to favor Kansas City. Does that logic check out in your book? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at uh, at the recency, you know, of the, the recent games that Kansas City has played at home. And you can kind of throw this last game out the window as far as I'm concerned. It's a, it's a one-offer. Uh, but, you know, their previous home games were against Pittsburgh twice and Las Vegas. And, yeah, they ran up the score uh, against those teams. But the games before that, they scored 22. They scored 16. They scored 13. They scored 20. They scored 20. They scored 24. I, <laughs> I, I initially was looking over on this game. But the more I've looked into this game, the more I'm kind of uh, really trying to find a way not to bet the under because uh, I just think that the way this game plays out, it's going to be a lot more ball control. So uh, Kansas or Cincinnati can stop those long passes, and Kansas City is perfectly content, content with dinking and dunking and putting up these long drives. And I think that that's probably gonna be what their game plan is. And you look at the other side of the coin and you look last week and, and Joe Burrow was on his back, you know, more often than a $20 street walker. So that's gonna stop drives. Cincinnati gets first downs. They go, they go down the field, they take up time, but you know, they're gonna get an occasional sack they're going to, you know, settle for field goals here and there. They're going to chew up time. And uh, uh, that's something that, you know, it's pretty hard to get over that 54 number. You know, a lot of, I mean, you've got to be scoring some points. And I can see both sides of these teams, both teams, going on these longer drives, so to speak. And Kansas City is no sacking machine. They, they didn't even average two sacks a game, if I'm not mistaken. So... Um, sure, they got four sacks the first time they played, but um, it certainly wasn't nine. And uh, 
I think Cincinnati's going to have success moving the ball. Are they going to get in the end zone? I don't know. Like Scott mentioned, that's a concern. To build on your point about looking at the under, Chris, going into last week's Bengals-Titans game, the defensive line was the big concern for Cincinnati in the trenches. They did all right, but the offensive line, the real problem, as you touched on, nine sacks. Hard to believe that that happened and the Bengals still won the game. And I think that the Chiefs, you know, might be able to do better than their season-long numbers would indicate. Four sacks the first time around against the Bengals was pretty good. You know, that would be a strong performance if they could even get to that number again. And Scott, I think two big pieces that could dictate whether the Chiefs can do that. Some guys in the secondary. You don't often think of that when it comes to pressuring the quarterback. But uh, not just in coverage, but getting pressure. Tyron Matthew, often a force off the edge. Also cornerback Rashad Fenton. Do you have any indication as to whether those two key pieces from the Kansas City secondary are looking like a go on Sunday? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think Fenton's missed a couple games, if if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then Matthew, Matthew it's, um, it's a concussion, right? So he's in concussion protocol. I think Andy Reid said yesterday he was making nice progress, but... You know, that's up to an independent third party. So someone else is going to have to decide that. If And I agree. he and That's something that scares me a little bit about Lane to seven. Because um, I think he's still a, a pretty important centerpiece back there. Um, and if he doesn't play, I would probably make adjust my total number up to about 55 from 54 and a half. Um, he, he's, he's an important piece. He's a quarterback back there. So um, that, that concerns me a little bit if he doesn't play just in terms of laying the seven. I still think Kansas City can outscore Cincinnati, clearly, but, um, but you know, they're going to have a little bit easier time of it if he's not playing in that game. I think that gives us a lot of good food for thought for the AFC title game. The one official play for show purposes, Scott taking the Chiefs over their team total of 31 and a half, and we will call a brief timeout before we move on to the NFC title game. Friendly reminder for those of us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, jump in that chat, and guys, let's turn the page to the second game on Sunday, the NFC Championship game, third go-round this season between the Rams and 49ers, second time in a month, the matchup taking place in LA, Rams currently laying three and a half at even money, total 46 and a half, and Chris, the three of us are all aligned on a side in this one, so while it's unanimous, let's go to you to kick it off. Well, I did fail to mention that I, I do believe Cincinnati and San Francisco are destined to meet because this is the 40th anniversary of them meeting in Detroit for the Super Bowl. So it, it would only be logical that they meet again. Chris Collinsworth would love that, I'm sure, calling the game for NBC. I think so. But uh, I, I, I like uh, San Francisco uh, in this situation. Uh, I think the matchup is horrible. You know, we've seen over the last six games – San Francisco's six and zero, and they're getting points again. It, it, you know, uh, I like the plus three and a half. I took plus four uh, as soon as they put it out. Um, I, I, the Rams' defense is built to face a more high octane pass defense or pass offense. So, the reason, one of the reasons San Francisco has the success that they have is they're they're an equal type team. They're happy running the ball. And they can do an okay job on it. So they've got all the weapons to do it, you know, on the ground or through the air. And that's what hurts the Rams. And that's why the Rams uh, have not seen the results that they've hoped for against San Francisco. And that's why San Francisco keeps on beating them. Uh, in the playoffs, so in the last two games, in the last, you know, San Francisco has really stepped it up. Uh, they're, they only gave up slightly over 60% passing uh, uh, against Rodgers and Prescott over the last two games. And uh, that's pretty impressive when you think about it. Uh, the team is healthier than they've been uh, for a long time, and they're putting a lot of things together. I'm with you there. I'll add one more thing that maybe you have some additional thoughts on. The situation in this one, a lot of talk about this being the Niners' fourth straight road game. I know that sounds like a big undertaking. Chris, you've had some funny thoughts in recent weeks about how maybe how that could benefit them getting away from any nagging obligations off the field. But I'll also add that not all road games are created equal. Yes, this is the fourth straight game on the road for San Francisco, but it's their second short trip down the coast to L.A. in that span. So it's not the most daunting trip in terms of body clock adjustments and distance traveled. The Niners also played Saturday last weekend, so they have an extra day of rest relative to the Rams. 
And when it comes to home field advantage, I think it's been pretty well documented. The Rams ticket policy for this one, doing their best to geofence ticket sales to LA residents, but good luck with that. I mean, when players' wives are begging you not to sell tickets to fans of the other team, I think that says about all we need to know about a potential sea of red once again at SoFi Stadium this Sunday. Yeah, I can't believe that policy. You can't buy uh, tickets unless you you can prove residency. So that uh, that boy is that does that reek of desperation or what? Hey, but, by the way, they they canceled that policy. By the way. Oh, did uh, they? Yeah, because what they realize is there's a ton of 49er fans in LA, so they are not going to stop them anyway. So they just canceled the policy. So you're gonna and all the all the tickets have been bought up. They're sold out by season ticket holders, but. Again, there are so many San Francisco fans in the L.A. area. They realize that that policy wasn't going to hold them back. So they cancel it. You're going to see a lot of 49er fans there, I'm sure, just like last time. You know, I like the success that uh, San Francisco's had against Stafford. They picked, you know, he's thrown four picks against San Francisco this season. He's been sacked seven times in two games. Uh, and, boy, has he been good. These first two games of the playoffs, he's got five. Incredulous, one might say. 41 for 55. I mean, for 566 yards, no picks. I'm yeah, sure he, he's going to he, keep that up. He was not part of that problem last week. You know, I, I was texting nope. a buddy. I said, normally you'd think it's Stafford that's letting him back in the game. And I kind of kept texting my buddy, like, time for a Stafford pick. He was not part of that problem at all. He was the solution. He was not the problem at all. Yeah, so he's due. I'm telling you, I hate to play the due factor, but you know, and then getting back to the San Francisco running game, they ran for 156 in the first game. They ran for 135 in the in the second game. I, I it, this is going to boil down to, as far as I'm concerned, which which quarterback gets the protection and which one is turnover free. And uh, you know, don't for don't think for a minute that that Garoppolo you saw in that cold weather in Green Bay under those conditions is the same Garoppolo you're going to see in perfect condition uh, in L.A. I, I believe that uh, you'll see a much better performance. Uh, you can count on it. And I'll add to that that it looks bad that he had zero passing yards in the first quarter. Of course, later in the second quarter, he had that signature killer interception deep in the red zone. But his first four passes of the game, I think they were just about perfect, and they were all dropped, including what would have been a walk walking touchdown for George Kittle of all people. So Jimmy G did make some good plays where he didn't get any help. He certainly shot himself in the foot. We know that's going to happen from time to time. But Chris, beyond the quarterback play, you also touch on the Niners ground attack. I think maybe my favorite play I can recall seeing live all season was San Francisco motioning Trent Williams across the line against the Packers. And he just mauled multiple levels of the defense and that kind of physicality could be bad news for a Rams team that's built more like you touch on to be, you know, maybe a Chiefs or Bengals type of roster versus what the Niners bring to the table. Scott, on that note, I've got to ask if you have any read on Williams's available, excuse me, tongue twister, Williams's availability for this one. We know he missed the week 18 game. 49ers still won outright, but they'd really love to have him for the NFC title game. I think they're hopeful he's going to play. Uh, hopefully he can. Um, I haven't seen anything definite, but I thought, I thought what I saw, I know Whitworth's playing for the Rams. He missed left tackle for the Rams last week, um, or they're very hopeful for him. I think Williams, uh, they're pretty hopeful that he'll, he'll be able to play in this game as well. Love it. And it looks like for the Rams, Whitworth on the offensive line coming back as well. Also safety, Taylor Rapp. So hopefully we can see both teams at pretty full strength. One more I've been keeping my eye on, Niners quarterback Ambry Thomas. Uh, I thought maybe a surprise late scratch from the lineup at Lambeau, but it seems like we may well see these teams at full strength on Sunday. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, people, you know, kind of criticize the 49ers secondary and some of it rightfully so, but they had some injuries this year. Then they had Josh Norman back there. We saw against the Packers when Norman came in and that he came in really, I think for one play uh, and Rogers, I thought he kind of rushed it to Devontae Adams, but he, he tried to go right after him because Josh Norman has really been picked apart this year. Some of these cornerbacks, you know, at least in terms of yards per route run allowed, have been pretty good this year. Uh, and those are the ones that are effectively playing right now. So I think their secondary is better. They're obviously getting a ton of pressure right now. Uh, and you hit on it, Chris. The, the Rams thrive on being able to put pressure, even though they haven't been super great at putting pressure this year. We saw what they did against Brady. Yeah, a little depleted offensive line possibly for Tampa Bay, but they put a lot of pressure on them. 
The 49ers don't give you that opportunity. They run all this going both the ways. Uh, yeah, just motion, right? Just trying to, to confuse you. That doesn't really play into the strength of that defensive line for the Rams. I think that's part of the reason that they've had success. The other thing, and you kind of hit on it from their running ability, but also their ability to stop the Rams running the ball. The Rams like to run the ball, get into the play action, and we know you don't need to be able to run the ball to play action, but it does kind of set up their offense. And I'm looking at these two games they've played this year. The Rams' success rate overall is 41.5%. The 49ers, 52.3%. They've dominated these games. And the Rams' run success rate, 35.1%. They have not been able to run the ball at all on the 49ers. And the 49ers are both running and throwing the ball uh, near 52 or a little bit higher than 52%. They've kind of controlled this game from the line of scrimmage. Um, they're getting points. And the Rams this year against playoff teams, when they've had their key players, you know, like, they didn't have all their key players against the Colts. They lost by, I think, 12 or something. But when they've had all their key players, they've only lost one game by more than three points. And that was the 31-17 loss to Arizona without Kyler Murray, uh, which is just the strangest thing in the world that they gave up 31 points to, a, to the backup quarterback. But that's the only game they've lost against good teams by more than three points. They just do not lose games by margin. A lot of it's that, you know, they're putting a lot of pressure. Uh, they stopped the run very well. We saw them do that against Green Bay. Green Bay lost A.J. Dillon, probably hurt him a little bit running the ball, but they stuffed Green Bay's run game. Um, and they're probably going to do it against the Rams again. And that's going to put a little bit more pressure, a little bit more predictability on Stafford throwing the ball. And that's where you could see some mistakes. Um, I don't trust Jimmy G, but this team is more, I, you know, I, I've said now, Jimmy G's now 11-3 and three against the spread as a road dog versus above average and above average uh, offense and defensive teams. I should probably say San Francisco with Jimmy G because this team is more about San Francisco and Jimmy G just runs the offense uh, more so than winning games for him. It's their whole scheme and whatnot. So as long as he stays within the scheme, they don't get too far behind, which sounds silly because he brought him from way behind in that game against the Rams a few weeks ago. But um, I think he can be effective and stay out of trouble, typically if they can kind of just play in front or play within their offense. I like the way that the Rams have been kind of folding in the second halves uh, uh, over recent weeks and the way that uh, I want to be on the team that's shown that they can suck it up, come back, and do it under pressure. Uh, you know, the, the Rams put themselves in the, in the bad positions, whereas, uh, you know, San Francisco comes, you know, you want a closer. I mean, if you're betting horses, if you're betting a football team, you want a closer. I, I mean, I think the San Francisco team is, it, 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 at the beginning of the season, they were solid as a rock, and, and none of us would have been surprised to see them go to the Super Bowl. I think they win this game. I think they go to the Super Bowl, and, and uh, I think they're a better team. They really do. I agree with a lot of that, and I also feel like I'd be remiss not to touch on potential variants in this game if I brought it up to make a case for the Chiefs and the AFC title game. And Chris, if we're talking variants with these teams coming out of last week, I've got to borrow a phrase from you and reference the special needs teams, because that was prominent in both games that these guys played last weekend. I mean, the Niners blocked a field goal, blocked a punt, returned it for a touchdown, and the Packers did them a favor of only trotting 10 players onto the field for that game-winning field goal. So a lot of good fortune for San Francisco there. The Rams, meanwhile, they missed a field goal. And beyond special teams, losing four fumbles in one game, awfully unfortunate any way you slice it. But that said, I don't want to overlook that considering the bigger picture within variance, the Niners 0 for 3 in the red zone, including getting stuffed on a fourth and one. And the Rams, uh, they had a Bucks missed field goal to kind of cancel out their own missed kick. The Rams got a 33-yard punt return, and they benefited from not one but two kickoffs out of bounds. I don't know if I've ever seen that in a game not involving USC's meager special teams unit just doing that constantly. So at the professional level, that was a new one to me. The Rams also benefiting from a 70-yard, uh, yeah, that was a bomb to Cooper Cup, right? A 70-yard touchdown to Cup on a busted coverage on third and 20. So I don't want to say that the Rams were, you know, really lucky or the Niners got unlucky, but I do think going too deep into itemizing luck can be a bit of a slippery slope. Overall, I expect the matchups between these two teams to really dictate the outcome more than any major swings and variants. Yeah, and by you know the what? way, 
Go ahead, Chris. Oh, just one quick thing. At least we've got four teams with four solid uh, field goal kickers, and special teams probably shouldn't be an issue uh, this week. Uh, you just hate to see games decided on that. Sorry about that, Scott. No, I was just going to say, you know, there is another anniversary this year as well. It's the three-year anniversary of Kansas City, San Francisco in the Super Bowl as well. So um, wasn't that long ago they played each other. It could happen again. Yeah, that would be a pretty fun matchup to see. I know the Rams are hoping to host the Super Bowl, marking the second time uh, in two years that a team could be playing the Super Bowl at home. But as far as the three of us are concerned, I think overall, my bottom line for this one, three weeks ago, we were looking at the same line. The Rams lost outright. We're seeing no adjustment in this one. That, to me, spells value on the 49ers, and it's unanimous. Chris, myself, and Scott all taking three and a half with San Francisco. Guys, any more thoughts on the NFC title game before we move on to a quick q and I'm good. All right, I think we've covered our <laughs> ground there. So I've got another question that Chris will probably match the silence uh, with the last one. But Scott, maybe you have any thoughts. We have somebody asking about any player props for this weekend. And I'll admit right off the bat, I haven't done all my work there yet. One of my initial thoughts is that it can be tough as we progress throughout the playoffs. Angles can get blown up pretty quickly. I mean, in the wild card round, Debo Samuel rushing yards over 28 and a half was my favorite player prop bet of the season. The problem is if somebody more than doubles that total, you know, good luck finding value the next week. We've seen similar things to Josh Allen's numbers getting inflated with all the rushing he's done in high leverage moments. So nothing really jumps out yet. But I wonder about a guy on the 49ers other than Samuel, another receiver, Brandon Ayuk. It seemed like a lot of the market was bullish on him against Dallas. Obviously, in the conditions last week at Lambeau, not much going for anybody in the Niners passing game. So his number really shouldn't be too inflated. Any interest in potentially looking at Brandon Ayuk to do some damage in the passing game should Jalen Ramsey travel with either George Kittle or Debo Samuel when he's not lined up in the backfield? Yeah, I I can't really give a good opinion. I, I haven't looked at that stuff yet, Matt. Um, so I, I kind of hesitate to say either way without looking at it. So, you know, if they want to check the YouTube comments section, we could, we'll probably end up throwing some stuff in there uh, in regards to player props, potentially. Uh, but I just haven't looked at enough of that yet, unfortunately, to make any good comments on that. I think Kittle gets tied up at the line on blocking duties um, more often against this Rams team. Uh than in other situations. Uh, you guys uh, see that also? Yeah, I, again, I'd have to kind of go back and look at that, Chris. I, I don't know. Um, I was just looking at, like, uh, I had Tyreek Hill up here. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I, I apologize. I, I just haven't really looked at player props at all yet. I usually start to look at those a little bit later in the week, unfortunately. I think I Cincinnati's going to involve Mixon a lot more than they did the first game. I think he ran for... Uh, like uh, 12 carries, like 45 yards or something like that. I think they're going to want to grind him uh, into the lineup, uh, moving the ball also. Well, and remember, they were behind a lot in that game for a while, right? They were, I think they were down 28-17 or something at halftime. Um, so to your point, you know, they probably got away from him a little bit. I was looking at that game, by the way. Kansas City only had four possessions, and I think Cincinnati had the same. There was only like four possessions in the second half of that game. Um which is just kind of remarkable, maybe even three possessions for Kansas City. They only scored three points in the second half in that game. Yeah, they had two stops and a field goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just they just didn't have the ball at all, which is uh, just crazy to think about. So, Well, that's the formula that works. That's why I'm looking at this under. And, uh, you know, I encourage anybody to check notes. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely add – I'll probably add one or two more plays possibly. One thing I wanted to follow up on, Chris, to that point about mixing a general strategic insight we can dig into more next week when we have a little bit of insight into the Super Bowl props market. But I've heard a lot of people talk about aligning things like player props with the way they see their game handicap unfolding. So if you're looking toward the under, maybe a bit of a lean towards Cincinnati, keeping it competitive, that could certainly bode well for Mixon. When I first heard you talk about Mixon being invested in the Chiefs, I'm thinking, oh man, if this is a blowout and Kansas City is running away with it, they're not going to be able to run the ball too much. But that can also be a little bit dangerous because if you're putting all your eggs in one basket with player props and your game handicap, could set you up for a great day, but it could also really get you overexposed. So do you often try to lean toward diversification or do you just try to line everything up with how you see the game unfolding? No, I think you have to line I think you have to line yourself up with how you see the game going because otherwise 
you know, if you mix it up too much, you're 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 giving away value and contradicting yourself. Uh, you know, by you know installing fail safes. I mean, obviously, you, you want backups where you can, uh, but uh, you've got to be careful with that of trying to play more than you know one narrative uh, or a narrative and a half, so to speak. Yeah, well, or, more or, talk on. Oh, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, or maybe you play a little bit less on each of the plays, uh, so collectively you're not mm -hmm. so. You know, if, if you're you know if you're playing one unit normally, and all of a sudden you start lining all these, the next thing you know, you got you know, 22 units on it because you found all these things you think that go with your narrative, you know, you, you might want to be careful there. Just, you have to just understand your exposure. I don't think there's anything wrong with picking all these pieces that kind of fit how you think it's going to go, but just understand what's at risk there. And maybe you need to be, you know, cut back a little bit to reduce that risk a little bit. Yeah, excellent point there about bankroll management. And the last thing I'll add, without any specifics on a player prop to bet this week, in general, as the market opens up, if you want to play a marquee player over, like a Tyreek Hill or you know a Debo Samuel for the Niners, Cooper Cup for the Rams, you probably want to look to get in play as early as possible because those numbers just tend to go up with the public money's influence in the marketplace at this time of year. And if you're looking to go the other way, there's no rush. I remember last year on Super Sunday, one of the final bets I made before kickoff was receiving yards under for Tyreek Hill. And I think it got into the triple digits after it opened well below that. There's no guarantee that this means a bet will win as opposed to losing. But if you just know how to time things, you can give yourself the best chance at getting the best of the number. So depending on who you're looking at, uh, try to figure out where the public might be going and either get in play quickly or there's nothing wrong oftentimes with just sitting back and waiting. To borrow Chris's favorite phrase, hurry up and wait. Yeah, I think we're going to talk uh, we're going to talk about this a lot next week, but uh, traditionally I think you find a lot of action right out of the gate or right at the end. That's where I find that's where I'm doing all my betting is at, at the very beginning or at the very end. And then typically as you mentioned, Matt, if you're going over, uh, you're doing that early and if you're going under, you're doing that late. And that's the same way goes with uh, uh, plus money line uh, propositions and laying the point propositions. Yeah, agreed. So plenty more to come on prop strategy next week, all things Super Bowl props. But before we move on and wrap up this show, we can do a best bet recap. It's unanimous between the three of us, all riding the Niners plus three and a half. Scott also on the Chiefs team total over 31 and a half. And as we've mentioned, keep an eye on the comment section below this video if we have any further plays for Conference Championship Sunday or any early plays involving the Super Bowl before we're back live with you next week. We'll add it to the comments below this video. Guys, I wanted to loop in one more topic before we wrap up this show, kind of the Tuesday theme of a nice evergreen strategy topic to close things up. At this time of year, I think... Being ready for the market to open and playing those opening lines can be where we often find our biggest window of opportunity. In general, picking back on Chris's last point, Scott, would you say that makes sense looking to get in play early if you're not going to wait until just about kickoff? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I give you credit. You helped me on the uh, San Francisco. I took it plus four uh, while the game was still going on with Tampa Bay and the Rams. You know, I saw a tweet from you saying, I think you got four and a half or something somewhere. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to go look at that, right? Because I knew where I was going to go, right? So I think I think you want to have uh, an opinion of where you're going to go. Now, if you don't have an opinion, that's fine. That is what it is. But if, if you have a sense of where you're going to go, just be ready to pounce. Because if your sense is right, there's a good chance, uh, and, and you're fairly sharp, good chance the rest of the market's thinking along with you. Just like that Kansas City over, 51 and a half. I think that opened at 50 and a half. Uh, now it's at 54 and a half, 55. Whether it's right or wrong, we know what the market did. So I think you got to be ready, uh, uh, you know, to do some of that uh, as soon as you can. Yeah, you know, you don't want to be you, you. If you're going to at least be open to betting this stuff early, you better have processed it ahead of time because you get yep. the sticker shock, so to speak. You know, you know, I saw that four sitting out there in San Francisco, and I'm like, wait a minute, this line is supposed to be three. You know, and what's wrong? I haven't seen anything to give the Rams an extra point here. And so I actually started playing mental gymnastics in my mind going, OK, what am I missing here? You know, you know, you want as much process before you're going to see those lines as possible so you can reconcile 
you know, all the, the variables, so to speak. Uh, well, okay, what's transpired? Well, you know, where is this line going to go? Can I get something better later? Do I have to act now? What's the worst case scenario if I sit it out and I wane a little bit? You know, all those little things, you've got to process, bing, bang, boom. And to your point, I think the reason that the three of us probably all agreed the line should have been three, when it's 27 to three Rams stomping on the Bucks in Tampa Bay, I think that was the only factor, really, that got the number so inflated. Maybe some Niners injury concern after they were limping off the field at Lambeau. But being a little bit prescriptive in a forward-looking sense, the NFC title game is the second one coming up this Sunday. So by the time that game kicks off, we'll know the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. And if the NFC title game is a blowout, look for the line to open somewhere maybe mid to late third quarter. Super Bowl lines will be up before the game wraps up. If it's really close, then within minutes of the NFC title game ending, the Super Bowl market's going to be open everywhere. And one subtle edge I like to think of if we do have a blowout in that NFC game, it can really only go downhill for the team that's in the lead. I mean, the Bucks last weekend against the Rams, a good example. When the Rams are up by 24, if they go ahead and pile on and win by, you know, you know, 10 extra points and it's a 34-point win, same difference. It's a blowout either way. But if that team suffers a big injury in the second half, or if they crater like the Rams did and suddenly 27 to 3 turns into 27-27, you know, that's how we saw four and a half go to three and a half in less than 20 minutes and ultimately off the board for the 49ers in the NFC title game. So again, if it's a blowout, things can really only go one way if you're looking to take an early lead on the underdog. Have you guys seen that play out over time? Yeah, I mean, uh, that definitely comes into play. And, uh... But the beautiful thing to remember about the Super Bowl line is the sharps or the, or the regular people that control or move the lines during the regular season, they may move it a little bit at the beginning, but the, there will be so much money put on this game, the public controls the Super Bowl line. So there is no guarantee or prediction of which way that's going to go. So keep that in mind. Yeah, you know, and, good, and, good and, and the other thing on that too, Chris, is, uh, you know, your only options here are not side and total, of course. We all know that, right? I mean, you got shops putting up 300, 400 prop bets on, on some of this stuff. So, um, you know, the goal at the end of the day is just to go find something of value. You could literally sit down watching this game and not have a side or total, but have 32 different prop bets. And that is 100% absolutely okay. That's quite frankly, as you've said, Chris, these lines are tight, razor sharp. Your 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 uh, ability to pick winners here is probably more so in the prop bets uh, for this game than maybe the side or total many times. I, I do better in the Super Bowl squares myself. <laughs> <laughs> Just wipe out all the element of skill altogether, and the pro better is still going to clean up. I think one final order of business, if we're talking about being ready to pounce, maybe talking quickly through each of the projected matchups and what lines we'd expect. I'll run a few numbers by you guys. If the chalk holds and it's Chiefs Rams, I know the Rams are at home, but given power ratings and matchups, I'm expecting that line to open in the range of Kansas City minus three and a half. Does that sound about right to you guys or, or any big pushback there? That seems high. I mean, I would, I would look, well, I look at it this way. San Francisco uh, would be three and a half. The Rams I, would be two and a half. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at this, too. Okay, Matt, thank is, you. You're right. You know, what what will it open up at? And then maybe what should it be, right? That's two, obviously two different things here. So, yeah, I think two and a half is probably about right in terms of what it will open up at. But uh, my numbers would favor Kansas City more than that. Got it. Yeah, thank, thank you, Chris. I, I flip-flopped the matchups. I'm already rooting for Chiefs Niners in my head because we all got the Niners in pocket. But, yeah, I think if there's a, much of a discrepancy – uh, against, you know, Chiefs Rams minus two and a half for Kansas City or Chiefs Niners minus three and a half for Kansas City. The first few minutes are the best moments to pounce. Similarly, if the Bengals somehow win the AFC Championship game, which I don't want to dismiss the possibility of too much. They've cost me money the last couple of weeks, and here I am betting against them once again, but there's plenty to like about this team. If it's the Bengals against the Rams, thinking it could be Rams laying three and a half or four, does that seem about right? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be around three and a half. Uh, I think it would have to be over a field goal. But, uh, you know, the, those you it, it also depends on how these teams win and lose. You know, if Cincinnati goes in there and, and somehow miraculously shuts down KC, all of a sudden you're going to see a groundswell of Joe Burrow love. 
I mean, it's you're going to get sick and tired of it. So uh, that's one narrative. And then if the inverse happens and Kansas City just blows Cincinnati away, boy, you, you might not see a three. You, you might see minus fours uh, come up if they make the Super Bowl. So uh, it, it short-term variance, you can't say for sure. Chris, yeah, I like any. Uh, sorry, Matt. Chris, you're not giving any advantage to the Rams for playing on their home field, are you? No. Okay. I think they, they if anything, know, they, they're trying to keep out San Francisco fans for, <laughs> for a conference championship. If anything, the most home field we might see, I would think, is if we get a Niners-Bengals matchup because this would be the Niners' third time playing at SoFi Stadium in yeah. just about a month, and I think it would be the Bengals' first time there. So maybe a bit of familiarity with the venue. And, of course, there seem to be just about as many Niner fans in L.A. as Rams fans. So if we see that lineup, um, I think it would be somewhere in the range of San Francisco, minus two and a half. But, again, once you bake in home field, we might see that escalate. Chris, I like the point that you made about it depends also on how these teams look on Sunday. And on one hand, yes, be ready to adjust based on what we see as a final data point before these markets open. But at the same time, I think the value of this exercise can be so important just to make sure we don't get swept away from what we've seen last. You know, you want to react enough, but if you overreact, that's what a lot of market does with recency bias. So the more we can be objective in that sense, I think the more value we might be positioned to uncover. Yeah, and, and this is an example where look-ahead lines are actually, you know, valuable because you can bet these everywhere, you know, or a lot of places. So uh, uh, they are they are a good point of reference at this time of year, as, as far as I believe. At this point, I think we've done about all the homework we can for Conference Championship Sunday. Guys, I want to just say I can't wait to do two Super Bowl shows with you over these next couple of weeks. But for now, we can go ahead and wrap up and thank everybody for tuning in. For those of you with us on YouTube, one last reminder, please give us a quick thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and we want to wish you the best of luck with your action on Conference Championship Sunday. We will be back at the same place at a special time next Wednesday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. We want to give the Super Bowl prop market a little bit of time to open, so that gives us more to break down on next week's show. So, of course, that'll be our early look at prop betting strategy, as well as our first look at the Super Bowl 56 matchup. We will see you right here next Wednesday, right back here at BetUS, where the game begins.